Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Jesus' ministry after the resurrection. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, this topic comes from me because I'm <laughs> sitting and listening to the stories that we hear after Jesus is resurrected, and they just seem different. There's less of an emphasis on healing and miracles and parables and whatnot, and more of an emphasis on, look, I've got wounds. Look, I'm eating food. Look, people are seeing me popping up on a roadside. What does his ministry look like after? How does it change? Am I the only one? Is this just me? You're spot on. I think that part of it is that it's much shorter. Okay. What we have about Jesus' ministry post-resurrection is much shorter by all accounts. The Gospel of Mark. It ends. You don't even get anything, right? Uh, exactly. The Gospel of Mark ends. And so it. the verses are there. If people open up their scripture, they're going to find some verses, but they'll find it after maybe like a half a line is drawn mm-hmm. because it was tacked on. And it will look a lot like oh, there were some people walking along the road and they saw Jesus. And then Jesus visited the disciples. And then Jesus went away. And it's about six verses. Okay. (laughs) And it's that short and it's that brief. So the Gospel of Mark kind of set that one aside. Matthew, Luke, and John each give us glimpses of the resurrection. But each of them, as you've said, are really kind of focused on proving that Jesus came back to life with a full body. And whether that's showing wounds or eating with people, it's definitely that proof that Jesus didn't just come back to life as a concept. Okay. Jesus didn't just get resurrected through our work. Does it also have something to do with the humanity that he's supposedly have, both human and divine? And here we're going back to, look, seriously, still human. I think in some ways, yes. And really to try and bring home the fact that Jesus wasn't a ghost. I mean, that's a big part in the Gospel of Luke of, I'm going to eat some fish here with you. You got some fish? I'll have some fish. Mm -hmm. Because ghosts don't need to eat. Spirits don't need to eat food. And so Jesus eats food with the disciples. Each of the Gospels has their own unique take on this. Okay. So Luke you get the road to Emmaus and the couple that meet Jesus along the road and Jesus being revealed through the opening of the scriptures and Jesus coming back into the room in Jerusalem and meeting with the disciples there. That's the Luke text, right? Is this Emmaus story and this being present in the food and seeing people that night. And the gospel of Luke ends really shortly right after that. Okay. The gospel of John, we've, read that, we get the whole situation with Doubting Thomas and the wounded Jesus coming back. We get conversations back and forth with Peter and this, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Echoing, or in some ways, some people have said the undoing of the denials of Peter. Oh, interesting. Right. And that comes in the Gospel of John. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, you get a visitation and a presence, and then you get the great benediction, the great commandment to go, therefore, making disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So each have their own unique take, very much focused on proving that Jesus came back bodily, showing Jesus' continuing relationship with the disciples, and leaving with a kind of blessing in some way, shape, or form on the people who have been there. The gifting of the Holy Spirit, the consistent phrases of peace be with you, do not be afraid, all of those kinds of things. But each section is very brief and very short. It's maybe a chapter. It's not like five chapters on the parables. Sure. The post-resurrection accounts are much shorter. Now, to be fair, the same gospel writer who wrote the Gospel of Luke also writes the book of Acts. So during the season of Easter, our lectionary cycle actually pulls the Hebrew scripture and puts in the book of Acts. Oh, okay. Which tells the story of the start of the church, the early church. And so the ministry goes from being the ministry of Jesus to being the ministry of the people. And the hinge point of that is the ascension. Okay. Liturgically, the way that we honor that is through this season, we have seven Sundays, 50 days of the season of Easter. Then there is Ascension Day and then Pentecost. Mm -hmm. So Ascension Day is the day Jesus leaves. Still my favorite name in German, the Christy Himmelfart. (laughs) It's good every time. (laughs) That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So the Ascension Day, Jesus leaves and gives us the ministry to be responsible for. And then Pentecost sweeps in with the Holy Spirit and sends us out into the world to do the ministry, which is where the book of Acts begins. Let me ask you this. Do they expect Jesus to stay around, like forever? Or are they expecting him to be there for a short time and then, yeah, he's going to leave at some point? Do they know? I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted him to go. Well, yeah, I can see him not wanting to go, but doesn't it sort of change what the sort of things you would ask or talk about? Keeping in mind that the gospel writers were writing 50 to 70 years after the events had happened then they didn't really record in that moment. And Paul's writings were before the Gospels were written, and they expected Jesus to come back, especially his early writings, First Thessalonians, right? He mm-hmm. expects Jesus to be back next week. Oh, this is after the Ascension. After the Ascension, okay, right? Because it's relatively soon after the Ascension that Paul starts writing. And the earliest written book we have in our New Testament is... First Thessalonians, that's the oldest of the Greek writings. So in that, while Jesus ascended, the expectation is Jesus is coming back before anybody else dies. Oh, that's fascinating. And you see the shift and change across the years in Paul's writings of a recognition that Jesus isn't back yet. He's really not back yet. Okay, people are starting to die And Jesus isn't back yet. So what are we going to talk about when it comes to death and resurrection? Because now we actually have to address this because faithful people are dying now. Sure. And Jesus should have been back by now. And so the community as a whole has wrestled with that prior to any of the gospels being written down. And Mark doesn't address any of that, again, because we don't get a post-resurrection time with Jesus. Sure. And Matthew and Luke aren't written for another 20 years post-Mark, and John isn't written for another 20 years beyond that. So they've already sort of 
mentally Accept wrestled it. with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. I can't even imagine what it would be like to believe in something, to go through something like the crucifixion, to then go through the resurrection. And then how do you deal with the understanding of what's going to happen? Like, how long is he going to be here? Is he mm. going to leave again? Is he not going to leave again? Then he leaves. How long is he going to be gone? Is he gonna... I mm-hmm. blows my mind. And I wonder what it would be like if we ever had or found writings that were from Peter, right? Because our writings are from gospel writers, mm-hmm. not from the disciples themselves. Paul's writings are the closest we have, but Paul was not a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Paul was an apostle of Jesus after the crucifixion and resurrection. And so the person whose writings makes up a huge ton of our Greek scripture didn't have that firsthand experience of being someone who believed in Jesus before the crucifixion. That's fascinating. Okay, getting back to Acts, what kind of stuff shows up there and how does it relate to what you would see in the stories of Jesus's ministry before he was resurrected? That's where you start to see the disciples doing that work that Jesus was doing. The teaching, the healing, the preaching, traveling from region to region, telling the story, changing lives, that all occurs in the book of Acts through the people, through the disciples. The book of Acts is also wrestling with what does it mean to be people of faith. The big kind of division point at the time was whether or not people needed to become Jewish before they could believe in Jesus and be followers of the way. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because Jesus and the original disciples were all Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so if the Gentiles were to become believers, did they need to convert to Judaism and follow all the purity laws of Judaism in order to be followers of the way? And so we see in the book of Acts, and we see a lot through Paul's writings, that kind of conflict and that loggerhead, which is why as a student in Greek Mm -hmm. and reading Paul, you learn the Greek word for circumcised and uncircumcised real quick (laughs) because it's a symbol of the Hebrew faith. And so in the book of Acts, we see the story told of Peter receiving a vision of a cloth falling, coming down from heaven with all the kinds of food on it, saying, you get to eat all of this now. Because it's an overturning of the kosher laws mm-hmm. and a welcoming, a saying that you don't have to be divided between Hebrew and Gentile. And that division, a Gentile could be a follower of the way without converting to Judaism. It's fascinating to me how much inclusivity there is in that single act in a way that you don't really see a lot in Catholicism from there on out. (laughs) Well, and each generation, I think we all have our break points. Mm -hmm. You know, in a couple hundred years in the early church, the question was going to be the people who denied their faith during the great persecution under Nero Could they come back to the faith or were they always apostate from that point forward? And church councils, the bishops argued over this. Mm -hmm. You left, you denied your faith in the pit. So no, you are no longer a person of faith. And some people said, yes, they can be. But people who 
didn't deny their faith are higher up in the faith structure, right? And a couple thousand years later, who is good and right enough? Can women be in ministry? Mm -hmm. Are LGBTQIA individuals able to be fully included, right? Like every single generation, every, you know, however long, we all have these points of loggerheads where we come into it with an argument of not good enough and here's where we're going to divide up. I love the fact that every time we draw a line, the Holy Spirit blows right past it. (laughs) It's fascinating. Okay, so I know that you did your dissertation on early church works. Mm -hmm. So what kind of writings were you looking at? Were you looking mostly at Acts or were you looking at other writings that weren't necessarily in the Bible at the time? Honestly, I did a lot of research into sociology and history and anthropology kind of stuff. So... Because there isn't a ton of information, concrete firsthand evidence of the first centuries, the first 300 years, I was really looking at particularly one scholars researching around the first, say, 350 years of the Christian church. And it's really challenging. And part of the reason why I stepped away from my main foundation of my thesis being in the early church was Mm -hmm. because it's so muddy. It's so incredibly muddy because they were underground, because like literally underground, Mm -hmm. they worshiped in catacombs, right? And because of the persecutions and all of those different pieces prior to becoming a legal religion, prior to Constantine making the decision that he did, it's very difficult to get verifiable through multiple sources takes on the first 300, 350 years of the early church. What I did find primarily came from individuals who were studying those centuries as historians and sociologists and commenting on how Christianity hit growth spurts during those centuries. And so while fascinating, Mm -hmm. It's hard to find the exact, like the writings that we have, which our Greek scriptures primarily come from 30 to 100 years after the death of Christ. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole mystery around the books that have been found since, the scrolls that have been found since, the gospel according to Judas and the gospel according to Mary and those that have been found in the desert within the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. And what kind of credibility we may or may not offer to those particular writings. But they haven't been canonized. They didn't stay as a part of the community long enough to get enough copies to be a part of what we accept as the scripture. So even if they are out there, recognizing that the community itself in those first several hundred years did not find them to be strong enough or accurate enough or whatever enough to make multiple copies and to keep sharing them with one another such that they survived long enough to become a part of the canon. Yeah, to be part of something like Acts or any of the epistles, right? Right, that lasted, right? Paul's writings lasted Mm -hmm. and were copied over and over again and stuck around for good or for ill. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about what we may have lost through time, whether it was intentional or unintentional, and how that would change our perception of what Jesus's ministry was like in that small window after he was resurrected, before he ascended. 
And part of me wonders, so part is because I love the gospel of Mark, right? But the gospel of Mark, I've kind of held on to this idea that Mark is the shortest and the fastest of the gospels because it was written at a time when people who remembered the story might still be alive. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the ministry Jesus did after the resurrection that mattered. So the point being focus on what came before. Remember how the life was lived. Remember the work and the healing and the changing that occurred. What did the parables teach us? And how was this person and what they taught over the course of three years? How was that world changing? Because they weren't necessarily expecting to create another religion, right? The same way Martin Luther didn't necessarily want to create another religion. A new denomination? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi who lived life in a way that was in keeping with his faith. And as the Son of God changed the world through love. Sure. Right? And I don't know. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question then. Do you find it's easier to preach on the stories of the risen Jesus, or is it easier to preach on his ministry and what led up to that? Who? good question. I find it much easier to preach on the before stuff. Yeah? I think because the after stuff, it's similar in flavor. The road to Emmaus being an exception. I love preaching on the road to Emmaus because it's okay. just cool. <laughs> but the like, hey, you got any fish? Let's have a meal. Hey, you're on the beach. Let's get some fish and have a meal. Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you like I find the proof of Jesus's bodily resurrection to be less compelling to me to preach on than the ways in which Jesus calls us to live differently than the world teaches us to. And maybe it's because I am less at this stage in my life and in my own personal faith journey. I am less concerned with scientifically proving whether or not Jesus physically rose from the dead. Okay. And I am much more concerned about how can I learn from this man's life how to bring justice flowing like a mighty river into our world. And that to me is much more compelling to preach on than trying to prove something that we will never be able to prove. That's fair. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Jesus's ministry after the resurrection. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And if you are curious about these, go open up your Bible to the last chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through what you find. See whether or not it brings up any questions for you. We would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.